PowerPoint, that would be great. Um, just as you are uh, grabbing a Bible, we're going to be looking at the topic of encounter, which is obviously a huge and expansive topic, encountering God. We're going to be using the theme of veils and temples, which is going to be wonderfully exciting. Um, a couple of things I'm going to touch on are um, John Mark Homer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. So if you want to get a hold of that, do. It also comes in audio, but equally... If you want to get your head around kind of supernatural gifts of the spirit and things like that, everyday supernatural, leaving, uh, leaving, living even, leaving, living a spirit-led life without being weird by uh, Michael Devachi and Andrew Croft is really helpful too. Um, we've also got a handout which is on the tables at the end of the rows, which just sort of tackles the gifts of the spirit, what they're about, breaks them down. So if you want to take those at the end of the service, please do. So this term, um, we're going to take a little bit of a journey. During January, we're going to be looking at encounter, embrace, and engage. So that's us and God this evening, then that's us and each other next week, and then us and the world in the final week before the weekend away. And then as we move into February, right through to Easter, we're going to open up John's Gospel and we're going to look at the I Am sayings, everything that Jesus said about who he is and Lucy Coleman who's around somewhere is going to be preaching to us one of those weeks and Matt who's on the keyboard is going to be preaching also and me and Tim as well sometimes um, so it'll be a great little journey but this evening encounter actually what does it mean to encounter God what's the journey of scripture so if first of all you want to turn to 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, verses 12 to 18, and that's page 1094 in your Green Bibles. So 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 12 to 18. You just keep a thumb in that, and then flick way back to Exodus. Chapter 33, page 88. And throughout scripture, there's this little thread of the language of veils and of temples. And as we unpack that, we begin to understand what it means to encounter God, the living God. So we're going to start in Exodus. And as we dive into Exodus chapter 33, a couple of verses there, and chapter 34, we're with Moses. And it's about 2000 BC, so many, many thousands of years ago. And he's with the Israelites and they're wandering around in the desert. They've been rescued out of slavery in Egypt by God. And by this point in the story, by chapter 33, Moses has already gone up Mount Sinai and he's had a very, very long discussion with the Lord and he's received the Ten Commandments. But he's come back down the mountain and he's found that essentially the Israelites got bored waiting for him and they built themselves a golden calf and they're worshipping the golden calf rather than God himself. And so God is pretty annoyed. And so Moses heads back up the mountain to plead the case for Israel and to ask the Lord to continue to be present with his people, with humanity. And so Exodus 33 Verses 15 and 16. 
Then Moses said to him, that's God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? If your presence doesn't go with me, doesn't go with us, what else will distinguish us? And so then God hears Moses' plea and he promises him his presence. He renews the Ten Commandments. Moses heads back down the mountain to now a repentant group of Israelites. And this happens. Chapter 34, verses 29 to 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him. And he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. When he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, They saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So what's happened here? Why the veil? Well, this is pre-Jesus. And so people can encounter God. But actually the presence of the living God is almost terrifying, in a kind of good, terrifying way, to the Israelites. And so God's presence is veiled. And firstly, it's veiled in the person of Moses. And then as the Old Testament moves on, it's veiled in the tent of meeting. And then finally in the temple itself. Once the Israelites get into the land, they build a temple to worship the Lord. And there's a veil there. And then something of incredible significance happens a couple of thousand years after this account. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And Matthew records that the moment that Jesus died on the cross and made that perfect way (coughs) to the Father and restored all things for us, this happened. At that moment, the curtain, veil, of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split. At that moment, the veil in the temple was torn. And suddenly in the person of Jesus, the Lord is saying, there's no more veil. There's no more barrier between me and you. And that means that a couple of decades later, when Paul is writing to some new Christians in Corinth and he's teasing out the practice of faith and the goodness of God, 
He is able to write these words. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 18. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It's not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We approach with unveiled faces. So what on earth has gone on? Well, we know that right in the beginning, Adam and Eve were in a perfect presence, perfect encounter with God. That they walked and talked with the Lord and God in the garden. And actually, that moment before, they stepped out of God's presence. But God loves his people, he loves the world that he made. And so he didn't just completely step back and leave us to it, to blow up the world. Actually, he located his presence in the lives of certain people, Abraham and Moses. Then he located his presence in a tent of meeting, the place of worship when the Israelites were in the desert. And then he located his presence in the physical temple that the Israelites built in the land of Israel. His presence was there, but there was a bit of a barrier. And everything was crying out for Jesus, for Jesus, for a perfect presence. And so John tells us that actually Jesus became the temple, that his body was the temple. And so Jesus replaced that Old Testament temple. And he made that perfect way to the Father into the presence of the living God. And then something extraordinary happened. Jesus ascends, comes back down, has a chat with his disciples, and in heaven. And then he says the Holy Spirit acts too, and everything just gets blown up in the most brilliant way. And then through various ways of reference, that actually we have become the temple. We have become the temple of the living God. And so no longer is it about this physical Old Testament building. Still about Jesus' body, because he's Jesus. But actually on day to day, on Monday to Friday, on Saturdays and Sundays, it's about the fact that we are the temple. The Holy Spirit lives in each and every one of us. And God has chosen to partner, presence himself with us. 
don't know if you've seen um, The Lion musical. I really love that musical. Um, don't build a theology on it. But there's that song in it, isn't there? He lives in you, he lives in me. And, and that's what it's about, actually. He lives in us. Which is completely bonkers, in one sense. The living God has chosen to dwell in each and every one of us. That we are too. But it is indeed scriptural truth. And it's something that we've got to run with. And so it means that when you're in that meeting on a Wednesday afternoon, or at the photocopier on a Thursday morning, or in the pub on a Saturday night, you're a temple. You're a temple. Just turn to the person next to you and say, you're a temple. Temple. Temples of the living God. And with these people of presence, everything has changed. So what does that mean right here, right now? Because it kind of sounds a bit abstract, doesn't it? Actually, how are we going to cultivate this temple? How are we going to be people of presence, people of encounter? And of course, the Bible speaks of the past the mountaintop experiences. Moses, before um, these verses that we've read this evening, had the burning bush incident where God is there and flames and fire. And you just read Ezekiel, the prophet, and he has these extraordinary encounters where, you know, there's wheels within wheels. You read some of Paul's writing, Paul is like, I've been caught up to the third heaven. I've had these crazy times with the Lord. You read Revelation. That is a power encounter, if ever there was a power encounter. There's the mountaintops, and they're important. Um, I look back over my Christian story, and there have been some mountaintops, and there'll be some more, I'm sure. Um, actually, on Thursday afternoon, um, Angus came, and he brought me a Lauren coffee. Thank you. Um, and then we just ended up all having this like, mad chat about Bethel and things like that. Um, Bethel's a church in Northern California, and they put in presents and signs of wonder stuff. And it made me think about when I went there, um, gosh, probably about 10 years ago now. Um, and there was just some moments. Some of it was really ordinary. And then there were some moments of real power encounters. There was this one moment where um, I was just sitting on the hillside outside the apartment and my friend lived in, who I stayed with. So this was nowhere near the church, it was just some random bit of radio in California. And there was no one else around, and I was just having like a chat with the Lord and stuff. And this person appeared out of nowhere with a piece of paper with this, just a list of prophecies and prayer and handed it to me and said, the Lord told me to give you this. And I read this thing and it was so spot on. And then she disappeared. Angel. I don't know. Um, you know, that was a real power encounter. That's not happening every day on the number 22 bus. Or maybe it does. Who knows? Um, there have been other times. I remember when I was a youth pastor um, and I dragged a load of teenagers to this conference at um, St Andrew's Chorleywood. And Chorleywood's a little sort of village of a place at the end of the metropolitan line. And there was this extraordinary evening over the course of the conference. And they had this prayer meeting beforehand. And it was like being in the book of Acts. Like the walls were nearly shaking with the presence of God. And just these young guys are just prophesying. And it's just thick with who the Lord is, with, with 
heavenly realities. And then we go into the meeting itself, and kids are just getting healed. I'd taken one girl down, and she was a dancer, and she, she'd broken her knee, and we prayed, and her knee got healed, and she was like doing a can-can or something, and it was extraordinary. Um, and another kid, Ben, who um, really didn't like God, and who I just threw into the minibus and took down, and he gave his life radically to God, and he's on fire now, he's a worship leader. And it was extraordinary, and it will stay with me forever. But actually, the Lord is no different when I'm standing in waitress trying to find anchovies. You know, he's the same God. He's the same God. He hasn't changed. And he's the God of the everyday as much as he is for the mountaintops. And it's not wrong to hunger for the big things. We believe in a supernatural God. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. That's stuff that we want to press into. But it's not all about the mountaintops. Actually, it's about the journey and the everyday as well. And you see that all over Scripture. Look at somebody like the prophet Elijah. And Elijah has this big power encounter with the Lord on Mount Carmel. And there's these prophets of Baal who are ridiculous and doing lots of very odd things and they're lashing each other and all of this. And then Elijah's basically saying, my God is better than your non-God God. And then God rains fire down and there's this massive power, heavenly thing going on. And then a number of verses later, we find Elijah sitting, waiting for the Lord. And scripture tells us that God wasn't in the storm, he wasn't in the big strong wind. He was in the still small voice. And so he's the God of the fire and the mountaintop and those dramatic spiritual realities, which will come as you seek him. But he's the God of the everyday, your everyday walk. And he hasn't changed. And you're called to encounter him in both. It's always the both and. The great and of scripture. That's a sermon within itself. So how do we do this? How do we cultivate the temple that the Lord has so graciously put in each and every one of us? How do we encounter him? How do we be people of presence at a really practical level? And guys, I think it's simple. Take the Bible seriously and take the Spirit of God seriously. Take the Bible seriously and take the Spirit of God seriously. And in that, bend into the ancient disciplines of the Christian faith. Christians have been here for 2,000 years. And for 2,000 years, they've been reading the Word of God, they've been celebrating together, they've been worshipping They've been seeking the things of the Spirit. They've been praying. And that's what we do as we come as a church. And it starts with us. So before we get to the celebration space, and before we get to the big stuff, there's you and God. You and God. You seeking Jesus first. You seeking your relationship with him. And that's the discipline of the new year. So how are you doing? On the quiet place. The quiet place with the Lord. Where it's just you and him. It's a question I'm always coming back to. I'm talking to myself as much as um, 
I am to you. And in this cultural moment right now, in our culture, which is so loud and so noisy and so on all of the time, you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to fight for the quiet place. And we need to know that actually our brain, the way that the Lord has made us, is a muscle. Our brain is a muscle. And so the things that we do and the habits that we create, they become muscle memory. And so as you fight for the quiet place, as you spend time with him, that will become like second nature. But equally, when we forget to do that over a long-term reality, that will become second nature. And so fight for the quiet place, your time with him. John Mark Comer, in this book that um, I was telling you about, the non-hurry, hurry book, says this. So many people live without a sense of God's presence through the day. We talk about his absence as if it's this great question of theodicy. Theodicy is just like the presence of God um, in our lives. But could it be that we're the ones who are absent, not God? We sit around sapped into our phones or TV or to-do lists, oblivious to the God who is around us, with us, in us, even more desirous than we are for relationship. His after partners, his after us, didn't leave us way back there in the fall. He presenced himself amongst us and he called us in as his temple, as his people. And so I encourage you this new year to allow yourself to just come to the questions. Actually, where is your one-on-one space with God? How are you made? Um, are you a morning person or an evening person? Sorry, it's the wrong way around. Morning person or evening person? Um, I am not a morning person um, at all, any way, shape or form. So I know that I will give my best to God in the evening. However, I'm also called to be disciplined, and that doesn't mean that I you know, just don't bother to read the Bible until night time and things like that. But I'm trying to find ways that work with the way that the Lord has made me. Um, so I've just uh, stumbled across by a friend, um, Pete Gregg's done this sort of podcast for the year around prayer and Bible reading called Alexio 365. And it's brilliant. It's just 10 minutes. So I'm using that in the morning. And I'm sitting with the Lord, or with Pete Gregg, and the Bible, um, and some other things, in the morning. And then, but then, in the evening, when I'm really wired to be on, that is my significant quiet time. And I sit and I spend time with the Lord and I read scripture and I pray. So how are you made? You're a morning person, an evening person, a middle of the day person. What are the rhythms of your life? You know, do you work shifts? Do you work nights? Do you work Monday to Friday? When's going to be a good time? Where can you find the quiet place? What life stage are you in? You know, most of us here this evening are single, but some of us, hey Albie, um, have kids, and that means a different life stage. So one of my best friends, Kat, who occasionally comes here, sits in the front row, and has a tendency to we know each other for ages. Now, she's married now, with three kids under four, two girl twins and um, a little boy. Um, and so she's desperate for space with the Lord, but it looks very different to me. So she said to her husband, Chris, actually, I need to go away every six months. I just need to be me and God. So she's currently on retreat for a couple of days in Eastbourne. And she's been texting me and she's having a great time. And yeah, and she does that. Actually, our life rhythms are different at different stages. So just take a moment now and think, what are my rhythms? 
How am I made? And where am I going to presence myself with God so that he can presence himself with me? Let's just do that for a moment. God did not make us to go out alone. He's made us for each other and for him. It's about us and God. Us and God. So the celebration space, the doing of this, the making church a priority. Your life groups. All the stuff that we do here, weekend away, gathering together. There's something that happens when we worship the Lord in song, when we gather together in that manner, and it just mediates the presence of God. And again, you know, wrestle with the Lord in eternity about exactly what this is about. But, but something happens. And I think it's because he's put music in our hearts. Clearly in the Psalms were created for music. When we come together and we give ourselves an abandonment through music and we tell God who he is and we champion him over our lives and in this world, something happens and we meet with him in significant ways. And so it matters that we gather together and we sing these songs and we worship. And then it matters that we gather together and we read his word and we take it seriously and we spend time wrestling it out. And then it matters that we go from this place to be his witnesses. We encounter God together not just in isolation. And we pray together in this place. Actually, this year we really want to champion the prayer ministry team. Um, some of you are on that already, Life Good Leaders, those who have done the training, PCC. Um, if you're here tonight and you're new and you want to know more of what that's about, come and chat to me. If you are not on the team, but you know you've been for another church and you've been trained in prayer ministry and you'd like to join the team, come and chat to me. We pray with each other here. And of course, we are all able to pray with each other. But there's something about a gathered service where it's right to also have a team that is set apart to pray with people when perhaps they've got something that's pretty big on their hearts they want to be vulnerable with that maybe they don't want to do with someone they know so well. There's a, a right protection there. And then as we gather together in prayer, in worship, through his word, and also press into the gifts of the Spirit. And of course those gifts of prophecy, which is just hearing from the Lord. Gift of tongues, which is a supernatural language that some of us may have, some of us might not. doesn't make it any more holy either way. Um, those things um, can happen in our quiet times when we're alone with the Lord. But there's also something to be cultivated when we're together. A listening to the Lord, a pressing into that which is supernatural. And um, again, as we come to the weekend away, that's what we want to do. So we've got a lovely couple called Tanya and Dave who are down at Emmaus Road, which is Pete Gregg's church. And they're going to be joining us for the weekend. And they're just going to be there to sit with you and pray with you and listen to what the Lord might have with you, for you and with you. Um, so do, do you use that? So it's me and God, you and God, I and God, and it's us and God. 
and together it creates this beautiful tapestry of encountering him in the regular everyday stuff and the mountaintop stuff of being expectant and then finally it's all for the sake of the world actually the Lord restores and heals and excites us not primarily so that we can have a kind of personal or sort of holy knees up for Jesus thing but for the sake of the world that he loves and he is restoring and he longs to redeem and that's back to the veil stuff and the temple stuff that actually you can approach with an unveiled face and you are right in the presence of God that his presence is never in doubt over your life because you're called to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And we're now the temple. So I'll end with this from Mark Sayers. He says this, the temple, which is you, has always been the arena in which priests, also you, partnered with God to ensure that the world flourished. Actually, us being the temple us being a royal priesthood, a holy nation, all that language that is all over scripture, us approaching with unveiled faces. It's all so the world can flourish, so that we can be kingdom people, that we can bring kingdom realities to the world out there, that we can see justice roll like a mighty river. And so as we track these next couple of weeks, that's what it's primarily about, that eventually we land and engage, that we are temples, to engage with the world outside of these four walls. But he loves us because he loves us because he loves us. And he's a longing to meet with you. And there's nothing better that we can do than to stand before the living God, thank him for who he is, and just say, I want to meet with you. I want to meet with you. So we're going to do that now. Let's stand together. And we've been sitting for a bit, so feel free to wriggle. And this is all about him. God who meets us in spirit and in truth. So we're just going to wait on him in the quiet for a little while. And it might be that you want to um, put your hands out in front of you. you know? It's not a magic trick. It's just a way of adopting a posture that simply says, Lord, I want whatever you've got for me. Um, so we'll wait. And we'll see what he wants to do this evening.